Hi, I'm Ali Maldro, the host of A Public Affair on Tuesdays. You can listen to this show any day of the week, any hour of the day on the WORT smartphone app or on wortfm.org. If you love what you hear, click that donate button and support community media. Your donation makes a huge difference. Six foot six above sea level. I grab the mic because I like to take you to another mental level. Low power frequency radio modulation. The big sound from underground. We bring the truth to places truth is never heard before. We bring the sound communication of our tribal war. Dark vision fly by. Good afternoon, Madison. You're listening to WORT 89.9 FM. I'm your host, Ali Muldrow, and it is Pledge Week. So I am in the studio with my good friend, Jen Rubin, and we are asking folks to support WORT by giving whatever you can. Little donations go a long way. We're hoping to get five people to give us a call today and give. The number is 608-256-2001. You can also donate online at wortfm.org. We have a really fun show for you today or, you know, exciting or interesting show for you today because we are talking about life after COVID with Paula Tran, who is the Wisconsin Department of Health Services State Health Officer and Administrator for the Division of Public Health. Paula, how are you doing today? I'm doing all right. Thanks so much for having me. I'm so excited that we get to have this conversation with you. Jen, how are you doing today? Thanks for being in the studio with me. I'm doing good. I'm, I'm happy to be here. Jen, have you had COVID yet? I have had COVID. Okay. Last July. All right. Me too. I had it on May 11th and that's my birthday. It's also the day that the federal government said COVID is no longer a thing. So it felt a little ironic um, because I, you know, I was excited that maybe we were going to have less COVID as like a birthday present to me. And then I literally had COVID on my birthday. Uh, Paula, how about you? How have you fared through through the pandemic on a personal level? How is everybody in your family healthy and safe? What is, yeah, what is the for asking. I actually also had COVID on my birthday last Oof. November, oh. so we can certainly relate to um, COVID impacting the way our, our individual lives work. Overall, the family's been, been well. I did lose two uh, grandparents during the time of the height of the pandemic, but not directly to COVID, but related with some COVID-related uh, illnesses. Oh, I'm so sorry to hear that. And also, I, I, the petty part of me was like, if I'm going to get COVID, I want to get it on a week that I have to do things I don't want to do, you know, not <laughs> on my birthday. I want to get it, you know, I want it to be my excuse for like not doing my taxes or something. I don't know, but I wanted to be able to use it to get out of something. And no, I, that's just not how it worked out for me. It, I think it's complicated for folks to think that we are existing beyond COVID um, or that there is less COVID. It seems more like we have just decided to stop trying to mitigate the spread of COVID. Um, where does your office stand on kind of our, our mitigation strategies um, and moving away from them? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, I think Um, In general, the major piece that is different right now than the start of the um, pandemic is that we have a lot more tools and we know a lot more about um, COVID and how it behaves. So it's not that necessarily we we don't care or we are not encouraging folks to um, uh, engage in safe practices, both as individuals and families and as communities. We just know a little bit more so can Uh, engage in uh, different kinds of decision-making around our own risks, right? At the beginning of the pandemic, we weren't able to test uh, for uh, COVID and we didn't have a vaccine and we didn't have therapeutics. So three really different things that are true today that allow us to make different decisions as individuals and and communities. Uh, So today, um, uh, our only tool isn't just to stay home, which uh, was uh, what was our strongest tool at the start of the pandemic when the virus was new to us. Today, we know more about how to test, uh, how to treat, um, and how to keep ourselves um, safe and, and get vaccinated, which is a key part to our strategy now is really encouraging folks to uh, get out and get vaccinated as soon as they can. 
Um, and in addition to COVID-19 vaccines, we also have um, RSV vaccines for older adults, as well as our, our sort of tried and true flu vaccinations. So we have a lot more tools today to make different decisions um, and can certainly, and do certainly encourage individuals who have risks uh, like underlying uh, health conditions to be cautious. Thank you so much for speaking to that. And I want to lean into vaccination because I think there's a lot of confusion and controversy around getting vaccinated for COVID. I think a lot of people think I already got vaccinated. I already got boosted. Um, why do I need to keep getting vaccinated and boosted? And can you talk a little bit, um, Paula, about the new booster that's available, the new vaccine that's available? Yeah, so um, many vaccines uh, that we have, uh, once you get them, um, they, uh, it, they help our body remember how to react to a sort of virus in this case. Uh, and over time, we know that the strength of that sort of imprint on our bodies can uh, wane, is what we call it over time, so decrease over time. So many of the vaccines that we have access to, we do have to get sort of an annual shot to remind our bodies to um, uh, react to these viruses. So that's the main reason why for some vaccines we do uh, uh, put out recommendations so that people are getting them annually, or in some cases, every couple of years, depending on which vaccine it is. So this uh, really aligns with um, how vaccine science has worked for a really long time. Um, waning of that immunity is very common depending on the kind of vaccination. And uh, in this case, the formula changes ha has changed a little bit based on what we predict to be the sort of um, most dominant virus that is circulating. So in this case, the COVID-19 vaccination has been updated based on the best available science that we have on the most common viruses that are, vac uh, that are circulating in our communities. So that's why we continue to encourage folks to get the most updated vaccines um, that uh, they are eligible for. Thank you. Jen, I saw you when I started asking about this. Do you want to weigh in a little bit on vaccination or what's your what's your personal oh. experience with COVID vaccines? Um, well, I was just saying that I, I just got my booster shot on Friday. So that that, that, whoop, that, whoop. Was, that was all. I was excited because I'm about to get on an airplane and fly to the other end of the world and I wanted to be prepared. Heck yeah. How many boosters have you gotten? I think every time it was eligible, I got one. So if you've had every time you've been eligible for, for a vaccine, and maybe this is a good question for you, Paula. How many boosters, how many shots should people have had in relationship to COVID at this point? Yeah, so that's, um, it sort of depends on which vaccines you had to start. If you all remember when we started rolling them out, J&J had just the one shot, others had a couple. So there isn't um, a certain number uh, that everybody should have because um, many folks mixed and matched and got different kinds of, of uh, vaccines throughout the process. What we generally encourage is that you get the most updated vaccine um, that's available to you today. It seems like when the vaccines first rolled out, um, people were really aware of them, that you could go and get vaccinated for free. This most recent booster seems to be less talked about. And one of the things that I think is interesting about that is, you know, I learned on the school board that the vaccines that we got initially aren't actually effective in combating the type of COVID that is most frequently spread right now. Um, can you talk a little bit about what your office is doing to encourage people to get this most recent vaccine um, and also how you are letting people know that the vaccine they had a couple years ago isn't going to be effective in this moment to fight this particular type of COVID. I also want to ask you, what is the most common type of COVID being transmitted now? I think we all were aware of kind of the names of the evolving strands of COVID for a while, and that seems to be seems to have completely dropped off the radar as well. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, uh, yeah, absolutely. I think um, during the height of the pandemic, we certainly had a lot of folks' attention. Um, and uh, what's different in previous uh, rollouts of the vaccine is that our state governments uh, had a huge role in um, obtaining the vaccines from our federal partners and then distributing them. 
that is pretty atypical. Um, prior to COVID-19, uh, state uh, governments, at least here in Wisconsin, uh, played a role in acquiring some vaccines and really uh, focused on uh, vaccinating those individuals that were not insured or underinsured or qualify for some of our programming. Uh, for example, uh, um, our v VFC program, which is vaccines for uh, children's program, really targets uh, a certain subset of the population. Otherwise, prior to that, uh, most people were getting vaccinated through their uh, insurance and through their providers. And that's really what is going on right now in this rollout, that vaccines have really transitioned from being a government, uh, predominantly government resource to now a more commercialized resource. So if you have health insurance, we really encourage you to reach out to your um, healthcare providers or your insurers to figure out where you can get vaccinated. If you are not insured, you can still reach out to your local health department because um, we have a couple of um, bridge programs uh, that can that's really focused on those uh, community members that are not insured. Is part of the reason that we are comfortable moving beyond the mitigation strategies that we embraced early on in the pandemic, that fewer people are dying of COVID, fewer people are being hospitalized, the severity of the impact of COVID has, has shifted over the course of the last few years? Well, it's a little complicated. I will say that people are still impacted today. We are still losing folks to COVID um, today across the country. It is no, you know, small sort of uh, milestone that in the U.S. we've lost over 1.1 million people, and in Wisconsin we've experienced over about 17,000 deaths. So this is still serious um, and similar to flu. We lose uh, individuals to flu annually. What's really different today is, again, we know more about the virus and we have more tools. We still encourage people to stay home if they can, if they are sick, right? And if you were exposed to somebody that tested positive, we still encourage precautions, um, like being careful around engaging with people who might be at higher risk. And certainly if you have COVID and you have symptoms and you can stay home, we encourage you to do that or mask up if you are not able to stay home. So some of those early mitigation strategies we still use and we still encourage, we haven't, um, as states, mandated people to stay home the same way, but we're still using the same mitigation strategies today to really um, decrease transmission and alongside the tools, again, of vaccination and testing so that people know better when they might be um, uh, sort of symptomatic um, and uh, can transmit the virus that they would sort of stay home. So we have more information today to make those decisions, but the mitigation strategies still remain true in terms of the guidance we share when people do get exposed and get sick. Thank you so much for, for speaking to that. I want to ask you about COVID testing, but before I do, I want to remind folks that you're listening to WORT 89.9 FM. I'm your host, Ali Muldrow. This is a public affair. Huge shout out to the team that is making this show happen today. We have people who are so excited to hear from you. We have not gotten anybody to call and give, but we need your help to stay on the air to keep WORT up and running. Um, so if you can give, please do give. Jen, I will match your donation today. Um, why would you want to give to to WORT? Why do you why do you support beautiful conversations on the radio? Well, I was just thinking about listening to um, your interview. Is like the thing that you know for anyone who like hasn't who has lived somewhere other than Madison, um, like to have human beings who live in the community do the, the programming of a radio station is so unusual nowadays. I mean, not to date myself, but that used to be less unusual, like when I was a kid listening to radio. But, you know, to have that kind of in-depth conversation about what's going on with COVID, like we don't get that, even on even on like WPR, you don't get that amount of time. You know, it's, you, know you just sort of get a sound bite. You don't really get that kind of information. And so, because it's local people deciding what's on the air, it's the things that local people wanna hear.
Mm. I completely agree. I feel like we're so incredibly lucky to get to have these more in-depth conversations, especially when you're talking about something that impacts the entire community, something like COVID, um, that you need people to have access to accurate information. You need people to have access to local experts. So if you want to join the conversation, if you have your own questions about COVID, give us a call at 608-256-2001 or jump on WORT fm.org and donate or give us your questions through Twitter or Facebook, whatever works best for you. But we are hoping to get five people to give. Um, so well, one thing I want to add, Ali, just because they gave us this nice piece of paper. So as as you're considering donating, you do get certain gifts at the levels you give. And so if you're at the lower end of $30, you get a, a wart sticker set, which I think maybe you only get that if you give. So it lets people know that you do support local radio. And then if you go up to the $120 level, um, you get, well, either a glow-in-the-dark wart t-shirt. But the thing that, um, at least from the show I listened to earlier, people seem to be wanting is the Bluetooth speaker, which is in all kinds of fun colors. So go ahead and donate. You get a little gift. You do. You get a little gift. And you get to keep the lights on here at WORT. You get to make sure that the amazing people who staff this organization get paid. Um, you get to invest in like local media and local media is like special because, you know, there's these, these big outlets that um, produce the vast majority of our news and aren't necessarily intimately engaged with the communities that they are broadcasting to. And the people at WORT are our Madison people. They are they are local folk who live in this community and care about this community and tell the story of this community. And you are part of that story and we need your help to keep telling that story. Jen, before I'm like before we jump back into our very important conversation, I think uh you know, I'm really hoping that somebody will give before we return to the conversation. So I don't want to hold the conversation hostage per se, but, but you're going to have to hear from me. Until yes. Until and I'm like, we have such an amazing guest here. Paula Tran is absolutely incredible. So if you want to hear more from her and less from us, give us a call at 608-256-2001 or give on WORT fm.org we are are hoping that you can help us keep the lights on help us stay on the air help us keep telling the story of this community and all the people who make it a wonderful place to live uh paula i want to ask you a little bit about testing um one of the things that happened when COVID was kind of declared over was that testing sites closed um, across the community, including the testing sites we had in schools. Um, so is it possible now that just as many people have COVID, just as many people are spreading COVID, but fewer people actually take a COVID test and get a positive result um, because testing is just less available, less accessible? That's a great question, Ali. And, and I'll just sort of share um, uh, on May 11th, when our uh, federal public health emergency ended, that wasn't necessarily to say that the uh, COVID is no longer important to us. It's really a, a policy um, designation, right? And during a federal uh, public health emergency or even a state public health emergency that allows uh, different resources to be leveraged to really um, help during a time of um, crisis, in this case, the new virus. So, you know, once it ended, uh, that didn't mean all of our efforts um, ended with it. It did mean some programs ended. And to your point, some of the national testing programs that were set up, um, many of the resources went away. Uh, and there continues to be some resources available to schools, especially around acquiring um, uh, antigen tests, those rapid tests, so that schools still have some resources to um, be testing uh, individual staff and, and family members. Uh, and to your point, um, we no longer, with the end of the federal public health emergency, require individuals to report um, the tests the same way. So you're right that we don't have as good of a sense or the same sense we did during the emergency when our testing was much more robust. What we do have today is a wastewater surveillance system, 
that helps us see community spread um, in, in a, a similar way. It's not exactly the same, but we can still detect uh, how widespread the virus may be. And what we know um, now with the added tools that we have is um, also how severe the disease is. So we've transitioned from the time where um, uh, the data that we were collecting um, is not as robust. So really reporting out on those numbers isn't as useful, but today what we can see between wastewater testing and hospital um, admissions, we get a better sense of severity, which is what really helps us think through resource allocation, um, uh, our healthcare workforce and how they are adjusting to the severity in communities. So while we're not sort of collecting and reporting data the same way, we still uh, feel confident that we have a picture of how COVID is behaving in, in our communities. And we know that, you know, as expected, as temperatures get cooler and we enter what has normally been our respiratory virus season, that we're seeing rates go up. Uh, so we're watching closely our hospital capacity numbers to make sure that um, severe disease isn't also going up, which would sort of trigger a couple of different responses. And right now, um, it's not surprising with school being back in session uh, that um, we're seeing increases in transmission. So really a great time to get vaccinated um, and really practice those fall um, best practices. Oh, go ahead. Thank you so much for, for speaking to that, for, for talking about the availability of testing and also talking about the other ways in which our government gauges how uh, how the spread of, of COVID looks. I want to follow up and ask you, when when you're talking about kind of what our water tells us about COVID, you, you said we seem to be ramping up. There seems to be more COVID spreading. But before we get to that question, somebody just gave, Jen. Yes, someone gave a, a $10 anonymous um, donation and their favorite show is a public affair on Tuesdays, which means you are their favorite public affairs host. And then they like all news and public affairs and letters and politics. So this person likes their news. Oh, man, this person has great taste and we love you back. And thank you so much for being the first person to give today. We are asking four more people in the next 32 minutes to help us keep the lights on here at WORT. The number is 608-256-2001. If you want to give via online, the, I'm sorry, it's WORTFM.org. What do you get for $10? Is there a gift? Is there a sticker? Is there something no, that... <laughs> not, not according to this handout. So no, this person is just given yep. because they love us. Yep. And that is wonderful. Do you want to remind folks, anybody who's like, hey, I want to give, but I want to get something. What can you get if you donate? At the $30 level, you get the sticker set. $35 level, you get an embroidered patch, um, which um, has like a, like a whole vintage thing going on. Then at the $45 level, you can get the Madison History book by Stu Levitin or the Progressive Magazine one-year subscription. If anyone knows what a mindless minion is, you get a membership card at the $50 level. Um, I, I'm not sure that's it, Jim. Well, I don't know what that is. Anyway, okay. at the $60 level, you can get an Apple Bistro mug. Um, which has an aer ergonomic handle. How do you say that? I love a good mug. Yeah, it's got I'm a, a fan. Then at the $120 level, that's where you can either get a cool glow-in-the-dark skull baseball cap t-shirt or you get the uh, Jupiter Bluetooth speaker. The Jupiter Bluetooth speaker, which I actually, I think like for me, I sometimes think of these things as like, that would be like a good teenager Christmas present um, since I have a 13 year old. I'm constantly trying to figure out like what to, what to get this this kiddo. So you could, you know, feed two birds with one scone um, and, you know, both help keep the lights on here at WORT and do a little like locally sourced Christmas shopping kind of thing. What Whatever brings you to, to giving or listening, please donate today. The number is 608-256-2001 or donate online at wrtfm.org. So jumping back into my question for you, Paula, um, according to our water, 
it seems like there's more and more COVID. And I do want to just highlight right now, this is the first time in a really long time that I have come into WORT and not been required to mask in the common spaces. So there are spaces that are have been masking far after that May 11th deadline. Um, as, as COVID, you know, ramps up towards cold and flu season should people be masking paula what are what is the mitigation strategy you want people to embrace right now in this current moment as we see more and more covid um and more and more people you know getting sick yeah i mean we know that masks are effective at reducing transmission so in general as we see um uh, rates uh, and transmission increase. You know, if you're going to be in a crowded small place, um, it's it's not a bad idea to mask. In fact, we've had our, our staff, you know, traveling to different conferences and they're just noticing people are voluntarily um, putting their masks on again in airports, which during respiratory virus season, I would say is generally a pretty good idea. It helps you from all sorts of uh, germs. So in general, uh, individuals um, certainly can increase their protection if they are masking. If they're, you know, experiencing any sickness, we encourage people to be testing and staying home. Certainly, being aware of who they're engaging with. If you have a family member or a loved one um, that, you know, has um, any kinds of risks, it's good to be aware of, you know, uh, creating more protections around them. Um, one metaphor that I really appreciated that emerged through the pandemic was a sort of a Swiss cheese approach, right? No single approach is going to be foolproof. And the more approaches you layer on by masking, staying home when you're sick, you know, washing your hands, uh, you know, avoiding crowded places um, that don't have great ventilation during certain times of the year, or if you don't feel well, all of these things can layer on and increase um, the protections of yourself. Uh, and these all are different depending on your own individual health status, right? If you're immunocompromised or if you are a birthing person and expecting, um, there are more things that you can be aware of um, to really even um, layer on additional strategies. And certainly, again, vaccination um, is uh, an important tool in that um, framework as well. I really appreciate you naming both that people's approaches need to be customized to where they're at in their own health and, and naming what it means to be immunocompromised or what it means to be pregnant. I am a person who was pregnant during the height of, of COVID and it really uh, changed how comfortable I was engaging in, in a variety of ways with other people. That being said, I think one of the major criticisms of how COVID has been handled in the United States is that um, there's been hyper individualized approaches and that we have been more interested in looking out for ourselves or individual family units than looking out for each other. Um, so can you talk a little bit about the messaging we're sending to people who are friends with somebody who is immune compromised for, for kids at school who exist in all kinds of different medical realities? Um, are we are we saying, you know, for, for the kids who, who need greater protection from COVID, uh, they're on their own. That's such a great point. And I think um, these values that are um, centered in our communication strategies are so important. In general, for a lot of public health interventions, um, we really uh, stress the importance of uh, not just thinking about yourself, but how you are in relationship to others in a community, right? When we think about public health, it's more about population health. Uh, and we have to think about how, what our strategies are to keep um, the most people well in a community and also understand where there is the most risk uh, and what we as communities can do to really protect each other and improve our overall and collective opportunities to be healthy. So I could not agree with you more. And a lot of the messaging and approaches that we strive to get out there really centers on what are our community level opportunities to keep each other healthy, to keep each other's kids healthy. I myself don't have any kids myself, and I'm constantly thinking about our opportunity to keep our youngest Wisconsinites well, not because 
um, they're in my own sort of personal sphere, but because if kiddos aren't doing well, that's not good for communities as a whole. So could not agree with you more. And unfortunately, sometimes different narratives are pitted against each other. And I think our opportunity is we all do better when we all do better. And we can only do better as a collective whole if we're focusing on those that, you know, are um, at, at most risk of being disproportionately impacted in a bad way. And that sometimes requires the rest of us to really rally together um, as neighbors um, and community members to make the best choices for our communities to do well. I will say I think that was one of the most hopeful things I experienced living in Madison during the pandemic was how willing people were to embrace mitigation strategies, um, not just to protect themselves, but to protect each other, but to protect the, the greater community. And I think we definitely saw that within education. Jen, uh, you know, I, I want to talk to you about like what it what it looks like to to show up and support one another and part of that support can be giving to WORT 89.9 FM and giving us a call at 608-256-2001 why are you a supporter of WORT well I mean you, you know I like local radio you know I like local radio um, because the people in my community have done the programming I like for example, the music that is played, it's, you know, often you, nowadays you go onto a station and you hear one kind of music, but, you know, I could get, I could hear country music, which isn't necessarily my thing, but I can hear like a, a country music historian, or I could ha do the gospel hour, or I can do the better living through show tunes. Like I could just hear music sort of curated by people who really know that genre and sort of put forward like their best stuff. Right. And so I feel the same thing with a public affair or the 8am buzz. It's like, you all are like, the hosts are like you're deeply embedded in this community right and so you're sort of like curating like who are the who are the people we want to hear from and just one thing people might not know about you Ali because like you wear so many hats so Ali and I do a lot of storytelling workshops together we all do. around the city and so what we know from doing workshops in all kinds of random places is there are so many interesting people who have really interesting perspectives but they're not the like point person for an organization or like or they work somewhere that no one's heard of and so no one but their circles get to hear from them right but we know from doing these workshops how interesting they are and so that's what you bring to this and all the hosts like you just you're so embedded in the community that you you, you bring us great voices and so we're not going to get that on radio that's not local i i so appreciate you saying that and also talking about like our connection and support for one another um because you know you're my good friend and i've gotten to do some really cool stuff with you and one of the coolest things i've gotten to do is tell stories with incarcerated folks and help incarcerated folks tell their stories yeah. and one of the biggest compliments i ever get is like we'll go in and we'll do a workshop and then we'll come back a week later and folks will be like i listened to you on word yeah um and and you realize like how something like this radio station can make somebody who's experiencing incarceration, experiencing incarceration, feel like they're still a part of the community. They still know what's going on. They still get to uh, uh, tap into the world beyond um, their incarceration. So I, I wanna encourage folks to give. Jen, can you let our listeners know how to give? Well, you can make, you can pick up the phone and just call, which uh, is 608-321-9579. There are people there waiting to take your call if you just don't want to deal with the internet. But if you prefer never to talk to someone, you can just go to the internet, which is, what is that, wart. It's W-O-R-T-F-M at uh, dot O-R-G. Yep, and then you can just give that way. And you can give, if you go, if you get up to the $30 level, you get some sort of some sort of prize. Heck yeah, you can get a little gift, um, a little swag. I've gotten some really cute hats, shirts, backpacks um, from giving. I'm excited to, to give a little bit today. I'm hoping you can give a little bit, but I wanna return to our conversation with Paula Tran, um, who's really, you know, been, been helping us as a state make it through this pandemic for the last few years. Paula, can we talk a little bit about how you found yourself in this role? Um, how how did you find find yourself as you know the the ambassador of of our health for the state of Wisconsin? 
really great question. I ask myself that often. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, uh, you know, I have been working in sort of public health for um, about the last 15 years. So at the start of the pandemic, um, well, depending on when you say the start, but at least in March 2020, when you know, our state um, declared a public health emergency, when Governor Evers declared a public health emergency, many of us who were not in government, who had been already working on um, this pandemic, probably since December 2019, uh, when we started hearing about um, cases across the world, um, many of us were tracking the progression of um, COVID-19 and staying in the loop. And um, I was working over at the university at the time. And when the um, pandemic was called, many public health workers were what I will say deployed into the response. So I was asked to join our state uh, response at the time, um, which we was a, an all of government um, effort. We, you know, the state Department of Health Services was working closely with the governor's office and closely with Department of Military Affairs and Wisconsin Emergency Management to think about leveraging resources to keep Wisconsinites well. And um, those of us in public health and other spaces were, were called to serve in the response alongside of our governmental public health workers. So um, started first by standing up a community resilience and response task force really to center equity um, in the decision making of the response because we knew um, that COVID would shine a light on some of our pre-existing inequities uh, related to public health and health outcomes. Um, so that was a central point of the leaders um, in our state was to help uplift some of those considerations. So we were thinking about that alongside of other decisions throughout the response. And then throughout the response transitioned into a couple of roles and then uh, was asked to start this role um, as administrator and state health officer in August 21, uh, which at the time was pre-Delta and pre-Omicron. So it was a... <laughs> Uh, what we thought was nearing the end um, was just sort of the beginning of a, a different spike uh, in the pandemic and just really grateful to serve alongside of really, really committed public health workers all across the state. Uh, we're so lucky to have you, Paula, and we are so lucky that another person decided to give to WORT. Tell us a little bit about the donation we just received, Jen. Yes, we got another person who... Um... Well, actually, she doesn't say what her favorite wart shows are, so we'll just assume it's it's a public affair on Tuesdays with you, Ali. Uh, Linda Luck just gave forty five dollars. She is she has donated before to wart, and in case you're wondering, forty five dollars, she has chosen to get the Progressive Magazine subscription for one year. Thank you so much for giving. We only need three more people in the next 15 minutes. So that's one That's one person every five minutes. We are counting on you. If you are out there listening, please give us a call at 608-256-2001 or give online at wortfm.org. You're listening to a public affair. Today is Tuesday. We are so fortunate to have Paula, to have Paula Tran on the air. I, I want to lean into some of the political reality of COVID. COVID has sparked some of the greatest division um, in the United States since, you know, some people say since like the Civil War. It sparked um, ableism and it sparked a tremendous anti-Asian sentiment. Can you talk a little bit about uh, what what that has meant for you in in your role to see people um, be deeply divided to see the spread of misinformation around COVID how has your office navigated that and has that impacted you personally Paula yeah thanks so much for the question you're really you're really going there <laughs> I appreciate it um, uh, you know this and um, many of my colleagues know this I'm a Asian uh, American woman. So, you know, I think for me personally and devoting my whole career to public health, uh, the early parts of the pandemic in particular were really a scary time. You know, I, I, I live um, in Madison and um, experienced um, outright anti-Asian sort of sentiments in the early part of the response. And it was a really I think challenging time for a lot of us when really the opportunity we had was to come together as community members to, to bind together. 
Um, so, I'm so sorry that you experienced that, Paula. You do not. No one deserves to be discriminated based on their identity, based on something they cannot change about themselves. Thank you so much, Ali. And, you know, I think to your point, that was just the beginning of what became a really, I think, and continues to be an ugly time. You know, I think for most of us who work in public health, we have come to it deeply committed to a mission and a sense of purpose to make the world a better place for um, the people that live in our communities. And so when there was sort of this direct anti-Asian sentiment and then that sort of pivoted towards um, sort of anti-government, anti-public health sentiment, I think for most of us in public health, we really experienced that as a moral injury, right? Mm -hmm. Folks were working seven days a week, 12, 13, 14 hour days um, at the height of it and I watched colleagues giving their lives to this response and this work, um, and we wanted to. And for most of us, that impacted our time with our families, um, our time with loved ones. And people did it because they knew that was the work we were trained for. This was our you know, time in our generational lives that we were going to contribute to something really important. And it was incredibly challenging. And you know, I think, the pandemic really highlighted what public health is for um, good and bad. And I think as we continue to rebuild post-pandemic, rejuvenate our workforce, lift up our workforce, and really build our public health infrastructure that has sorely been underfunded for decades, we have an opportunity also to claim a narrative around how critical this work is and how um, I think most community members value an infrastructure to keep their water clean, their kids healthy, you know, kiddos screened and access to healthcare and other public health resources readily available for community members. Um, but throughout the process to see the level of um, hostility towards, you know, uh, public health leaders was a really difficult time and something that I know many um, public health workers and leaders continue to heal from. Mm. I, I think it's really heartbreaking to think about the the level of divisiveness that's been created around COVID. I also think it is, I have a little bit of bitterness. I'm just going to speak for myself that, you know, I lost years of of time with certain people who I really, really love. And it wasn't until people started to congregate again um, that, you know, I found out like one of my friends was really, really sick and passed away um, a few months after kind of the world reopened. And I, I think back to how much time we lost to um, trying to contain COVID. And so to end up where we are right now is really hard. I think for the people who did virtual learning and did stay, you know, stayed at home and, and masked every day and got all the boosters. Jen, I don't know. Do you ever have a little like a little bit of bitterness to the folks who um, maybe didn't take COVID as seriously as some of us? Yeah, and I had this like really interesting vantage point because uh, my parents are elderly, and um, and they live in Massachusetts, so it's like a sixteen hour drive away. And so my mom has a really bad heart condition, and so we couldn't see, you know, we couldn't see her. Um, and and then we went through this like, okay, before the shot, before before testing, we would do this. Okay, what if what if we don't leave our house for two weeks? And then we go visit you. She's like, okay, you can do that. But then it's like, well, what do we do to get gas? I'm like, okay, so we're 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 gonna only pee outside, you know. <laughs> oh my <laughs> and, god! And then and then at that because at that time people worried about the the, the plumes or whatever that would come out of the toilet, whatever thing was. And we pack our own food, but we'd have to get gas. And and so anyhow, so we we did this. I probably did this like four times. And so you have this vantage point going in rest stops from Wisconsin to Illinois to Indiana to Ohio to Pennsylvania to New York to Massachusetts, and you could see the difference. You could be like, okay, Ohio is just like the Wild West. Like, you know, like no one's doing, well, these places in Ohio. You know, you could just tell the difference between like, oh, that corner of Indiana, no, but Pennsylvania, yeah, you know. And so, you know, I would just, I would be super annoyed, you know, based on like, oh, I can't, like, like no one here cares. And, you know, if you walk in with a mask, because once we got our shots, of course, we could go in and walk in with masks, and then everyone would like turn and look at you because no one has a mask, but then you enter another state and they're fine with you. So, yeah, so I would just, I would get surly, you know, in Ohio and Indiana. I, 
I like that. I like that you you got surly about this because it was it was an issue that felt like it shouldn't have been an us versus them right. situation. It should be like, you know, I I I have never heard people de- debate the necessity of like the polio vaccine. I've never met anybody who's had polio, but it is a required vaccination to go to school here. Um Thank you, somebody who interrupted that rant. No, no, I, keep going. But you, said, yeah. you said to buzz <laughs> yes. if you're talking. No, no, they were right. Because okay. the, the focus today is you, Paula, and is making sure that WORT is around for a very long time. We have our third donor. We're looking for two more people to give in the next few minutes. Tell us a little bit about the person we need to thank for giving. We are thanking, I hope I pronounce this right, John Leica. Um, L-I-C-A, you think that's Leica? I hope so. Yeah. And uh, and he gave $20, and his number one show is the 8, 8 o'clock buzz on Thursday. Who is on Thursday? I am not sure. Jade, who is on Thursday? Who's the 8 o'clock buzz? Maybe Jan. All right. Shout out. Shout out to you. Thank you so much for for supporting W-O-R-T. Thank you for giving. Paula... Shout out to Tony. (laughs) Um, Huge shout out to Tony. Huge shout out to you for giving. If you can give, please give. The number is 608-256-2001 or give at wortfm.org. You are listening to A Public Affair. I'm your host, Ali Maldra. I'm in the studio today with my beloved friend, Jen Rubin, and we are on the air together with Paula Tran, who is walking us through kind of the the post covid reality which is really just kind of the adjusted to uh, a new strategy around covid because covid is still very very much present paula can you talk a little bit about what you know what it was like for you all who are working in public health to have people who absolutely um agree with your recommendations, people who are really trying to meet every standard that public health um, gives to us, especially as those standards adjust and change, and also having people who really, um, really do not uh, agree, really do not believe in, in the science of COVID. Yeah, and I think one metaphor that um, surfaced and from my colleague in Wood County was it was like being in a vice grip. Right, that the sort of folks that wanted us to do more and were really adamant that we weren't doing enough to keep communities um, healthy were on one end. And then the folks that felt like we were, you know, overreaching and far out of our lane were on the other. And the extremes, right, of not being able to um, uh, be responsive to those needs and also at the end of the day not always having the full range of tools to do what we know um, is what the best available science and evidence is telling us which always evolves right so we expect that when we learn more we do things that uh, incorporate those lessons into our updated guidance this is a very usual practice for evidence generation and for science. And we were learning so quickly throughout the process of the pandemic and shifting faster than we probably could coordinate at multiple jurisdictions that um, uh, that created some confusion and differences across jurisdictions. And we, you know, understood and heard loud and clear that um, there were large camps of folks that were deeply frustrated that we weren't doing enough and others who felt like we we were, again, um, reaching um, too far. So it was really challenging. I our, We have um, 85 health departments in Wisconsin and 11 um, federally recognized tribes. And, you know, when our state level tools uh, for policy were no longer available to us, we had 96 different you know, jurisdictions trying to support their local communities, and sometimes even at the city and town level, which we know created a lot of confusion, I think, in an ideal world, having us all coordinated and aligned from the federal level, all the way to the um, closest local jurisdiction is ideal. And that just wasn't our reality in the US. And that created a lot of divide and put a whole lot of pressure on our very um, most local 
um, officials, including school administrators, right, who then had to make decisions at um, school district levels, which is not always ideal. No, uh, nope, really, it's not. really tricky. Yeah, no, it's really challenging. I really appreciate that you highlighted schools. But I also really appreciate that you talked about, you know, once we didn't have the ability as a state to coordinate around COVID, it really kind of scattered strategies, you know, were strategies looked really different. At one point, Dane County was one of the most vaccinated counties in the country. Um, yeah. And that would feel great, except Dane County is in Wisconsin. Um, and, and I think that COVID really burst the, the Dane County or Madison bubble, right? Um, it would be great if, you know, we in, in this local community could take all of the steps to prevent COVID. And that would mean that we could really contain this virus in our community. But if you don't have your neighbors 40 miles north willing to do that same thing, um, you have a huge problem. Can you can you talk about, you know, really what it looks like in Wisconsin for us to recover from some of the divide of COVID? Yeah, I, I can't uh, lift up how important what you said is that it again, this notion that it can't just be individual people or individual counties, right? Being the only ones sort of out there, in this case, you know, a figurative island of vaccination, that that doesn't help us achieve the herd immunity that we need to be as healthy as we can. So, how can places like Dane County or Madison be reaching out to other cities across our state and sharing stories about how we are more alike and need each other? than different, right? So I think a part of our work in our state for not just public health policies, but we'll, we'll start there, is to really build bridges across communities and really amplify where we have shared interests around keeping individuals, families, communities safe, that there's a whole lot we can do by sharing those stories and creating uh, bridges and bonds across what I think in our state we've um, uh, considered to be separate and have no common ground, when in reality, at the end of the day, we saw deaths across every county in our state, right? We were losing residents um, to this disease in every county. So what can we do to really bind together to use all the tools that we have available at our fingertips to keep each other healthy? And I think that's about... I cannot thank you, thank you enough for, for emphasizing what we have in common. I think across the state of Wisconsin, what I know about the people of this state is that we want to keep the people we love safe. And the hard thing is, is debating how we do that and safe from what and who and when. Um, but your work is so incredibly important to me, Paula Tran. Thank you for joining us today on WORT. Huge shout out to my co-host today, Jen Rubin. Thank you for helping us bring in the dollars. And huge shout out to everybody who gave. Thanks for tuning in. We'll be raising money again next week, folks. So if you didn't get a chance to give today, you can give next Tuesday.